Amen. It's good to be in church tonight. Uh, good to see y'all. Uh, it's always good to hear that singing. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, I read through the Bible. There's a lot of sad things, and um, you know, it's good that we have the, have those songs. We have that music to lift us up, and and it just remind us um, of that shed blood. You know, when we go to the jails, I always wanted to mention the shed blood, and I think it's important. Um, and I think it's important to, to remember and, and to, to specify that, you know, Jesus Christ shed it and he did it willingly. Amen. And because um, there's really not, there's nothing in this world that's going to uh, give you anything. And he gave it all. Right. And, uh, you know, as I read through the Bible and there's a lot of sad things, there's a lot of, a lot of murder, a lot of deceit, a lot of betrayal, a lot of that kind of stuff. But, you know, some of the, the saddest things that I've, found, I've come across is, is when, when people turn their backs on God and you have that broken fellowship. And a verse that always troubled me, I, I uh, remember it was preached from the church we went to years ago before we came here. It was over there in John 6.66 and it said they walked uh, no more with him. And that, always, that verse always scared me because I'm thinking, man, if these, if these people that had seen Jesus and, and, and walked with him and talked with him, they seen the miracles and they, they physically were with him, if they could so easily turn their back, you know, uh, what's to keep me from doing that? But by the grace of God, you know, he's, he's kept me all these years and my wife and, and our kids. And, um, but that, that verse has always, uh, it's always troubled me. Um, I've seen over the years, I've seen a lot of people that, uh, we used, there used to be a guy here that I never would in a hundred years would have thought that he would have uh, walked out and, and turned away like he did. And, and uh, it really caught me off guard. And I'm thinking, man, nobody is uh, above the temptation. Nobody's above the sin that this world uh, can toss at them. Uh, I, I think about the nation of Israel, and I think uh, how they went to Samuel. And they said, you know, we want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. And, and Samuel pled their case before God, and, and he, he told me, well, you don't need a king. You've got, your king is God. You don't need a worldly king. You know, he's given you judges. He's given you everything you need, and that wasn't good enough for him. And uh, God said, okay, if that's what they want, you know, make sure they, they know what they're getting themselves into. So he gave them a whole litany of things and, about the, what their king would be like, and none of them was good. And they all came true, and, and they, were, they were satisfied with that. For whatever reason, they, they, they wanted to turn away from God. They wanted to be like those around them. Um, I think of, of uh, King Saul when, when he tried to take on the responsibilities of a priest, and he disregarded God's word. And, and, and uh, you know, God took the throne from him at that time and, and, and the reign, and, and you know, he had, uh, had David anointed. So I think of all these people that have turned their back on God and the broken fellowship. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. Um, if you want to get to Judges chapter 16, um, we're going to talk about Samson, another case uh, of some broken fellowship there. And what I want to focus on is what it takes to get there. Um, yeah, get to the book myself. Um, I'm going to use Samson as an example, but back years ago, I used to listen, um, and I, I, you know, have some, have some mercy with me. I used to listen to a, a group, a Christian group called Casting Crowns, and um, they had some, they had some lyrics to one of their songs in particular. It was called Slow Fade, and basically it talked about how a man that had a family and had church and had it, and basically he lost it over time. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in one morning. It, it took a period of time for these things to occur, and um, that's what our relationship is with God. You know, it, it takes time for us to get away from him, but there's some warnings, some indicators along the way, and there's some things that we can can grab a hold of and, and, and recognize, and if only we would just recognize them for what they are, we, we can get back to God. But we have to realize that there's a problem first. Um, I'm going to start out uh, verse 4, read down to about verse 12, chapter 16 of Judges. It says, And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her, and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein his great strength lieth. And by what means we may, we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him. 
and we'll get, we will give thee, every one of us, 1,100 pieces of silver. And Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. And Samson said unto her, If they bind me with seven green widths that were never dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven green widths, which had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. And she said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he brake the widths, as a thread of toe was broken uh, when it toucheth the fire, so his strength was not known. Uh, and Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me, and told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If they bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, uh, then shall I be weak, and be as another man. Delilah therefore took new ropes, bound him therewith, and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And there were liars in wait, abiding in the chamber. He brake them from off his arms like a thread. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for, uh, you, you've given us your, your word. Uh, it's pure, Lord. It, it's perfect. Uh, I thank you for that. And I thank you we have it in abundance. I thank you, Lord. We don't, uh, uh, you know, I know a lot of people over the years have, have died to preserve this word. I thank you, Lord, for, for uh, their sacrifice. And I pray, Lord, that it's not in vain. I pray that people would grab a hold on this thing here in the, 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 the later days, Lord. Uh, I pray for uh, this message tonight. I pray you just get me out of the way, Lord. Speak through me. I pray you just be with our pastor as he's traveling. Give him traveling mercies. Pray for the weather, Lord, and pray for the vehicles. I just pray you get him there and back safely. Lord, I love you, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, and many of you that know me know I like to read a lot of history. Um, and, and for whatever reason, I'm, I'm drawn towards World War II specifically, but I like to you know, read a little bit of everything. Um, but I'm reading a, a, a book, and it's talking about a naval aspect of World War II, and um, it, it, it's, it's specifically submarines. Well, there was this Japanese submarine. Shortly after the invasion, or the attack, excuse me, the attack on Pearl Harbor, uh, January of uh, 1942, it was the I-73, and this submarine... Um, the Japanese, they were very, uh, they were honorable, but they were also very much caught in their, stuck in their, their ways. Uh, they believed that, that war should be uh, waged not only honorably, but they, they didn't really, in the early uh, campaign, the early parts of the war, they didn't deviate from, from their strategies and their plans that they had used for many hundreds of years before that. A lot of their techniques and, and stuff hadn't really changed much in some regard. Well, one thing they didn't, uh, they didn't really pay much attention to was radio silence among their submarine fleet. Now, the U.S., we observed strict radio silence among the submarines. Only in the absolute, you know, most dire emergency would they send off a message. But the Japanese would communicate ship to ship, ship to shore, shore to ship. It, they just, they would communicate. And not only that, but they would also give the, the submarines instructions or where they were to be. They said, at noon tomorrow, you are to be at this location and you are to report in. Well, what they didn't realize was the U.S., we had uh, people, that, code breakers, that had cracked their code. And we were able to listen in and decipher these things. So I-73, uh, shortly after Pearl Harbor, um, what they would do is they would, they, along their patrol, Often they would, even during the daytime, they would run on top of the water. They would run on the surface. Well, they would, they would harass uh, uh, coastal emplacements and, and basically didn't do a whole lot of damage, but they would fire their guns at them, just do little, little skirmishes, little attacks, little hit and runs. And basically they were thumbing their nose at the Americans saying, hey, we're here, we're, we're harassing you, we're attacking you, and basically there's nothing you can do about it. They, they thought their victory at Pearl Harbor was, was so absolute that they had totally crippled the Pacific Fleet. And while they had dealt it quite a blow, they had started to become a little overconfident and they got a little, uh, a little complacent in some of their uh, methods and techniques. So at one point, they even attacked a, a, an oil uh, facility off the coast of Los Angeles. Um, so the, the U.S., had, they had intercepted the codes and they knew where this submarine was going to be. They knew the route it was taken. So we had uh, another submarine coming back. It was coming back into Pearl. It was just coming off a tour. And this was one of those times they broke radio silence. And they said, we want you to be, just deviate a little bit. You know, you don't have to go far off your course. 
but this, this other submarine, this Japanese submarine, is going to be at this location at this time, on this day. So sure enough, they got there, and they got in location, and they, they, they stayed submerged, and they stayed at periscope depth, and sure enough, there it was. And when they, when they seen the submarine, the Japanese submarine coming up, they, they observed them through the periscope. Of course, they were running on the surface. And what they noticed was the sailors, the Japanese sailors were on deck. They really weren't in, in combat readiness whatsoever. They were smoking cigarettes. They were lounging. They were just enjoying themselves, getting, you know, sunning themselves, whatever. They, they really weren't in a, in a combat-ready state at all. And they fired off, I can't remember if it was two or three torpedoes. They heard two explosions. Um, and it was later confirmed that they had sunk that Japanese submarine. You say, what's that got to do with any of this? Just like Samson did in these verses that we read, they let their guard down. See, they got, they got a little overconfident. They got a little complacent. They got a little cocky, and they, they let their guard down, and they let the enemy sneak in right ahead of them and attack them. And we see the same thing here in these verses that we read about Samson. Um, one thing we've got to realize as Christians, there's dangers all around us. Now, we're, we're probably pretty cognizantly aware of the physical dangers. Okay? We, we hear about it in the news. We see it on the roads. We understand the physical dangers. But there's spiritual dangers and spiritual pitfalls that we don't always see or that we don't always take the time to recognize and comprehend. And those are the things we've got to be real concerned about. Because remember, we're talking about that, that broken fellowship. That, you know, we're, we're talking about losing that, that relationship we have, that, that, that fellowship we have with Jesus Christ. And there's some spiritual pitfalls out there that we've got to be aware of and we've got to take notice of. And we just can't, get, we can't let our guard down. Otherwise, we'll fall into them. And, and more often than not, the things that we let in, it's not going to just affect us. It's going to affect others around us. Um, you've all heard that ter term, uh, Loose ships sink ships. Now, I know I've used this illustration a few times, so please bear with me. Uh, I don't like to, to repeat myself too often, but I've read uh, several books on the USS Indianapolis. And you'd think that I was in the Navy from all these naval stories, but I really wasn't. Um, but I've read several books on it over the years. And I, 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 the more I, I think about this, this incident and the way things transpired, not only during but after the fact, I really think it's apropos to us in our Christian lives today and in our walks today, uh, uh, the, the way Satan attacks and the way sometimes we, we allow those things to happen. Uh, so just a real quick uh, uh, illustration here. The USS Indianapolis was built before World War II. It was constrained to some uh, peace treaties that were in place in World War I. So it was, it was limited on how big it could be and its size and its tonnage. Uh, so therefore, it wasn't a very heavily armored ship. It was a light cruiser. It wasn't very heavily armored, but she was fast. Okay? And she had delivered the bomb, the atomic bomb, to Tinian. And she was on her way to Leyte Gulf. And she had received some new crew and a little bit of equipment upgrades. So she was going down there for some training, a little bit of a shakedown. And, and, and uh, supposedly, the water she was in, uh, there was no submarine activity. Uh, one of the things the ship did not have was air conditioning. Now, operating in the South Pacific, late July, August, it was very hot. So the captain before Captain McVeigh, he was the captain the night the ship went down, that captain, although it was standing op standard operating procedures, especially in time of war, to keep all the hatches closed and sealed. And what that did was that would contain any water that managed to, to breach the hull. See, the, they said the Titanic was unsinkable. But the problem with the Titanic was the bulkheads didn't go all the way up. It's like taking an ice cube tray and filling it. You start at one end, and once one gets filled up, then it'll, it'll just carry over into the next compartment. That's basically what happened with the Titanic. But the Indianapolis had the ability to contain that water. But the captain said, well, look, it's a lot easier. It's a lot, uh, it's a lot more conducive to travel. It's a lot more convenient if we just leave these hatches open. And also, it'll improve airflow. It'll help keep us a little bit cooler. Not by much, but it'll help improve airflow. So when Captain McVeigh took command of the ship, he never really changed that. He was aware of it, but he just let it go. Uh, he didn't want to, uh, he, he figured, well, there, he didn't really see anything wrong with that. Well, as it turns out, the ship was struck by two torpedoes, I believe. And 
This was the first instance where, during a court-martial of a U U.S. serviceman, they had actually called an enemy combatant to testify against him. And when they court-martialed Captain McVeigh, they, they called the submarine uh, captain from the Japanese submarine, and they asked him about zigzagging. Was the boat zigzagging? Was it altering its course? And that was the big thing. That's what they, were, they hung their entire trial on, pretty much. And the enemy captain, he said, no, he wasn't. He said, but here's the thing. The lighting was such. He said, everything was, he said, I had time to maneuver into position. I could get out in front of him. He said, it was a textbook setup. He said, it didn't matter if he zigzagged or not. I mean, the enemy captain was actually for Captain McVeigh. He, he was trying to, to explain to them that he, zigzagging would not have mattered in that condition. He said, if I, I fired a spread of six torpedoes, two to port, two to starboard, and two down the throat. He said, he, he was going to get hit. He said the only way that he wouldn't get hit was if it was something that I had done or if there was a malfunction in the torpedo. And as I read through that thing, I realized if he'd only closed those hatches, that would have contained that water just a little bit longer. Now, the ship may have eventually went down, but it probably would have saved and protected some lives along the way, and maybe they, wouldn't, you know, they could have got off a decent radio call and the radio room went and flooded. What I'm trying to say is, Folks, the hits are going to come, but there are things we can do in life to mitigate them. There are things we can do in life to lessen the effect of them. The ship was going down that night. It was going to get hit. There was no doubt about it. Those torpedoes were heading dead on. But if it had just done a few things, closed the hatches, taken a few simple precautions, things could have been different. And that's the same thing in our lives. Okay? The hits are coming. You can't always avoid them. But we can do some things to lessen those. Okay, and that's where we sometimes fail. We get complacent. We let our guards down. We don't, we don't stay focused on, on the task at hand. Samson, we see, was very prideful. He was arrogant. You know, he was cocky. He relied more on his own cunning, his own strength. But see, he, he, he had forgotten the source of that strength. And a lot of times we get in that same, uh, same kind of, uh, of mindset. You know, we, we'll, we'll get caught up in our own abilities, and we'll get caught up in our own talents and, and, and the things that we think that we have done and the things that we think we have accomplished, and we, let, we just leave God out of that whole thing. And we, we fail to give him any, any uh, recognition. We fail to give him uh, thanks for what he's done for us. You know, you've heard uh, all, the, all the singing that was mentioned this morning, all the singing, all the musical ability that we have here in this church. I think it's a blessing that they're not out at the fairs on Saturday singing bluegrass or, 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 or uh, country music or something along those lines and then come in here and sing in hymns on Sunday. You know, that's a blessing because there's a lot of them that could go do that and probably make a couple bucks on the side doing it. But see, they would be using their God-given talents in the wrong way and for the wrong reason and for the wrong purpose. It wouldn't be for lifting up God. It would be for lifting up the things of this world. So it, it, we have to keep in mind when God gives us something, he gives us a talent, he gives us an ability, you know, we've we got to stay focused on who we're using that for. Who's going to get the glory and the honor from that thing? Um, and, and Samson, you know, as, as a judge of Israel, you look at him, and any time that he, he did anything, it's not like he took a group of men into combat with him. He wasn't leading the nation. He did it out of revenge. He did it uh, uh, because it was a, a, a personal thing. See, he really wasn't thinking about God. He wasn't thinking about the nation. He lost sight of the spiritual, and he only focused on the physical. Uh, the, the, the spiritual part of it was totally out of, the, out of the sight for him. It was, it, God was no longer in his thoughts. Um, he, he, wasn't, he was not focused on serving God. He was not focused on, on his position as a judge and what he should be doing to, for the betterment of the nation. Uh, he only worried about himself. He had a lot of victories, and he had gotten away with a lot of stuff. I mean, he, you know, if you read through, Samson wasn't exactly a... a, a uh, an angel, for lack of a better term. You know, he, he had gotten himself into some situations there. Um, he was a bit of a womanizer. You know, he, he, he consumed a lot of the things God had given him on his own lust. Uh, he valued his own ability even above that of Satan's ability to tempt him. You know, he, he had gotten to a point in his own mind. He figured, you know what, I'm above all this. I'm better than all this. But see, he never stopped to recognize where that strength came from. Another thing here, let's just jump down to verse 19. 
And she made him sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man. She caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him. And his strength went from him. We see here Samson got a little too comfortable. And that's another pit we can fall into. We too can get too comfortable. Um, we can fall just like that, that, that submarine I told you about, I-73. And just like Samson, we can fall asleep in the lap of the enemy. Just like that submarine was out there in enemy waters and thinking nothing could touch them. Okay, we can fall into that, that same trap. We can think, you know what, we're, we're above all this. We can't be touched. You know, we're, 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 we're too focused, we're, we're reliant too much on worldly things. Are you all awake out there? Okay, somebody is. Good. Um, now this, I mean, this stuff's trying, I'm, I'm not trying to be a downer, but what I'm trying to do is, is point out some things in our lives, you know, we've got to be aware of. And these are, these are all pits, these are all situations, these are all traps that we can find ourselves in. Um, but we have to be aware of them. You know, sometimes we forget about the dangers out there. Sometimes we, we, we get a little caught up in day-to-day living. And it's important to keep these things, not, not necessarily dwell on them, but sure, certainly be aware of them. Uh, be aware that there are dangers. Be aware that there's things lurking beneath the surface that, that, that will hinder us and will hurt us if we're not, you know, aware. Um, say, or, uh, uh, Samson, he gave in to the wiles of a, of a temptress here. Here it was a woman, okay? He gave in to the wiles of a woman. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, you know, there can be a lot of temptresses in our lives. It don't just have to be a woman. This doesn't have to be a man. There can be a lot of things in our lives that will tempt us and lead us away. Um, it could be, for some, it could be substances. Uh, it, it could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be uh, a lot of different substance abuse, substance use. Um, because of my job, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I used to drink and smoke a little bit. But because I was subject to random drug testing, I have never, ever once smoked, injected, ingested, cut, snorted, sniffed, whatever you do, however you can get those things into your system. I have never done any of that. In fact, it wasn't even until a few years ago, uh, in sometime in my mid-40s, I'd ever even smelled pot. I didn't know what it smelled like. Now you can't even go down the road two blocks. Uh, I, I smell just about every day around here because it's, you know, legal for medicinal use. We got a lot of sick people around, if that's the case. My goodness. Um, me and Andrew were heading back to my house last week, and we were going down there by Airway Shopping Center. I mean, this is a big, wide-open intersection. There's nothing. It's not like downtown where you're caught in between buildings. There's nothing. And then it was just like this fog of pot. I don't even know where it was coming from. It's like there must have been, it's, you'd think there had been 50 people lined up on either side of the street just puffing away. It just hung there. And, and, you know, for years, I didn't even know what it smelled like. And now you can't seem to get away from it. So clearly that, that, is, that uh, can be a temptress for a lot of people. Um, and sadly, I'm not just talking about lost people tonight. I'm talking, this message is at, at us, okay? There, uh, I've known most of you for a long time. I don't think there's too many lost people in this room tonight. So a lot of these things can, can affect us, can affect saved people. A lot of these things can affect Christians. Okay, so that, you're, you're my target audience tonight. Uh, again, don't get to the point where you think that this stuff can't affect you because that's, that's a danger in and of itself. Music, that's another thing that, that can lure us away. Um, you know, I used to listen to, in the late 80s, early 90s, I, I listened to pretty much everything but rap. Country, even oldies. Um, heavy metal, uh, Rock, the headbanging stuff, I listen to it all. And, you know, for the, I'm just now, I'm just now getting to the point after almost 30 years of not listening to that stuff on a regular basis, I'm, I'm just now getting to the point where those lyrics are finally starting to fade out of my head. Now, I struggle to remember my anniversary, but yet you, you, you pull up a stinking Metallica song that I haven't heard since 1989, and it just pops in my, well, I'm getting a mean look. It just pops into my head. You know, Satan uses that kind of stuff, and, and it, it's funny, the things that he can use, and he'll just grab on. Man, it gets so deeply rooted in your mind, in your thoughts, and, and like I said, that's something I haven't messed with in a really long time, but it's hung with me, and that's another reason you've got to be careful of these things. You've got to be aware, because some of them 
just won't let go. You know, they get in, and it, it, it's, it's kind of like the Roach Motel. They check in, but they don't check out. You know, once they're in there in your, in your brain, it's a, it's a long, hard process to get them to come out. Uh, narcissism. You know, that's another thing. You, you, you got people that go to the Grand Canyon, or they go see the world's biggest ball of yarn, and then they got to take a picture of themselves in front of this thing, and they got to post it on, on Faceplant and, and Twitty Twitter and, and cl Click Talk and whatever all that other garbage is. They got to put that out there. And I'm thinking, man, get out of the picture. I want to see the hole in the ground. I want to see the, the world's largest ball of yarn. I don't want to see your ugly mug. I see it all the time. But see, people think, well, I'm so much better than this. Look at me. Forget about Mount Rushmore. I mean, you know, say what you may, but I mean, that's, that took a lot of work. It's kind of a neat thing, you know, carving those faces in the side of a mountain. I'm sure that was a little dangerous. Uh, I'm not saying worship the thing, but hey, that's kind of neat. But, you know, you got to put my picture in front of it. I'm like, I don't want to see you. Step aside. They're so much better looking. Um, but, you know, people get caught up in that thing. And, and, and they get caught up in, hey, look at me. Make it about me. Notice me. And, and man, I, it's not just young people. See, for the longest time, we, we, a lot of the preaching was directed at the young or the at least, well, maybe not even that, but the, the adults would just let it bounce off. Oh, he's, you know, he's preaching at the young people. Folks, it's not young people. You know, one of the reasons I, I, I nixed my Facebook account years ago was because of all of the stupid things that I would get from people on that. Now, here's the thing. This is what I, you need to know. I have very few uh, friends on, on Facebook. I had very few that weren't in church, okay? Maybe a couple from my high school years, uh, maybe a couple from work, but I literally mean probably less than like six, okay? Every, the vast majority of the people that, I, that had friended me or I had friended on Facebook were church people. My goodness, you get on there and, and, and I'm like, this is this ridiculous. It, it's always got to be about them. You know, and, and I, I said, this thing is just, it's all this, 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 social media does was give people a platform just to, to uh, uh, draw attention to themselves, to focus on themselves. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at where I'm at. Look at I'm, I mean, I saw people would post stuff like, I'm hungry. Well, put the phone down and go to the refrigerator. Really? You have to tell people you're hungry? You're not too. Go take care of it. But, you know, then they would sit there and wait. Who's going to respond? What are they going to say? Who cares? Go get a sandwich. Um, that's my response. So don't tell me you're hungry, unless you're a small child. Then I'll tell you, go find your mother. Um, another thing that can be a temptress, uh, power, authority. You know, people, there, there are certain people, they just, they're, they're power hungry. They just want it. They don't know how to use it. They don't know how to wield it, but they want it. The idea of just having the ability to tell other people what to do and expecting them to listen. You know, a good leader leads by example. Um, I'm getting a little bit older now, and I've been a, 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 around a little bit, and I've been under the authority of a lot of people. And uh, I'll tell you what, the, the, the people that I've admired the most and that have, have earned the respect for me are those that weren't afraid to get in there and do it themselves. I remember uh, when I was a supervisor several years ago, I had a bunch of um, aircraft painters under me. And I guess somebody on third shift had really nothing better to do, so they went into the, one of the bathrooms, and on every stall they had defaced it and put some nastiness in there and uh, etched some stuff into the paint. Well, I get a phone call from my manager, and he says, hey, you have your guys go take care of this. So I went, and I looked at it, and said, okay. So I went to my, one of my painters, and I said, hey, man, I need some paint. I need some, you know, just, if you wouldn't mind, just, you know, get this stuff together for me, mix up the paint, the accelerator, and all that. He says, what do you do? And I explained to him. He says, well, I'll take care of it. I said, no, no, no. I said, hold on a second. You're an aircraft painter. I said, that's a bathroom. I said, I'm not going to ask you to do that. You say, well, why would you do that? Because I wanted him to know that I was not afraid to get in there and do something as nasty and something as demoralizing and something as ridiculous as going there and cleaning up after a two-year-old that, 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 that literally had nothing better to do but just put a bunch of foolishness on a wall. Clearly, the individual that did that had not been supervised well enough, and he should have been fired. Maybe it was eventually. I don't know. Those guys that I was in charge of, they were only productive to the company if they were 
painting airplanes because that's what they were paid to do. So you know what I, went, I did? I, I went in there, and, and on top of all the other stuff I had to do at the time, I sanded it down, I prepped it, I painted it, I taped it off, and, 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 and took care of it, hung up the signs, wet paint. Because I didn't think my guys needed to be doing that. They needed to see that I'm willing to do that. If I'm going to ask them to do something nasty and dirty someday, they're gonna have to be, they have to realize that I'm willing, just as willing, to get in there and do it myself as I was to ask them to do it. So you... you there's a lot more to having power and authority than just wielding a sword and, 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 and expecting people to jump at your command. There's, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, that takes time to cultivate. You've got to earn some trust in that thing. Um, but that, that, too, can be, like, again, a temptress that can lead us away. Uh, I'm not going to belabor this point. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But uh, certainly pornography can be an issue. Um, and before I always say what I'm about to say, I'm going to preface it with this. Uh, under no circumstance for any reason do I believe it is ever justified or right for a man to do anything uh, uh, physically or verbally to a woman. There's no justification. There's no reason for it. Never, ever. Um, I can't make that clear enough. And you have to realize the reason I'm, I'm saying some of the things I'm saying is because I know this is going out over the Internet. And I know there's going to be people that may be first-time listening and tuning in for the first time. I do not want anything I say from this pulpit to, to alter somebody's perception of this church and this work and this ministry. So I want to be very clear on this. Men, if you're not married, find a nice young lady, okay, and do it the right way. Do it God's way. Till then, keep your stinking mitts to yourself. Keep your eyeballs in the book. Men, if you're married, you're stinking, you're just scum. If, you've got any, if you're looking at another woman and you're, 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 you're talking to another woman uh, for any reason other than, say, business or something, if, if you're engaging in anything that's improper, you got a real problem. Okay? Now, I want to make that very clear. But now that I've said that, women, if you dress... To attract attention, you're going to attract the wrong attention, and don't be surprised when it happens. Okay? If you're going to dress provocatively, then expect the wrong kind of reaction. Every day I get on my email and I log on to Yahoo, every single day, so-and-so you know, brings it, rings in the summer on pictures of her and her yacht and posts it on one of these social media with a you know, a nearly there bikini, and so-and-so signed or went to the awards in a sheer dress. And this and but these are the same ladies that complain when, when, when guys in that same industry make remarks and do things that they shouldn't be doing. Again, they're not right. The guys are not right. They have no business doing that. But the women, you're, you know why you're doing it. You're attracting the wrong attention. Okay, stop it. Okay, uh, uh, that's really all I can just stop. Um, so that certainly is something that can, that can uh, tempt, tempt us and, and get us off the track is, is pornography. Um, gambling. Now, I'd be willing to... <laughs> gambling. I'd be willing to bet that <laughs> as soon as I said that, you all probably, the first thing I, you all thought about was money, gambling money. You know, you can gamble a lot more than your money. You can gamble with your time. You know, if you're waiting, and you're waiting for the next, next big chance to hit it big, or if you're waiting for the next big opportunity, okay, if you're just sitting there and you're doing absolutely nothing, you're just waiting, and God said, well, I've given you this. No, but that's not big enough. Well, but I've given you this. No, 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 I'm waiting for this. Well, God says, I can't trust you with this because you haven't proven yourself in this. You know, sometimes you can gamble away your time because you're waiting on something that will never come. Sometimes you just got to get off the couch and do something. You can also gamble away your testimony. Now, I was talking to a brother the other day. I'm not going to tell you his initials are Steve. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it's all good, brother. But he was driving down the road the other day, and the car in front of him swerved just a little bit, he said. And uh, he said he didn't think nothing of it. You know, it wasn't, you know, the, the car wasn't going into, you know, evasive maneuvers or anything like that. Just, just a little jog in the road. He said, okay, you know, he didn't think much of it. Well, next thing he know, he said he hits a sinkhole. He said, 
he thought for sure when he popped out of that thing, he was going to be over in China. So this thing was so big. I'm embellishing a little bit. But he did say he thought he lost the front end of his car. He tore up his car real bad. So he said his, his very first, now don't hold this against him. Don't get all judgy, okay? This has happened to all of us. He said his very first reaction was he was angry at himself for not avoiding it. He, was angry. he said his first reaction was just to lash out and just be angry. And then he said, you know, it's amazing how fast the, the human mind works. Because everything I'm telling you transpired probably in about a second or less. But he said his, his reaction was just to get angry and lash out. And he said, but then he realized he had all these Jesus stickers plastered on the back of his car. And at that point, he realized, oh, hold on. If I do that, he'd have been gambling with his testimony. He'd have been gambling with his witness. Because somebody, sure enough, would have seen that. And they said, yep, another hypocritical Christian. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Look at you. You're getting all mad. You're getting all worked up. You're cussing. You're hollering. You're punching your dashboard. Yeah, and yet Jesus loves you. Okay. You know what? He controlled himself. But you can gamble away your testimony in that, in that regard. Materialism, stuff, money. Man, that can all lead us off to the side. Popularity. I think one of the best things schools ever did, our kids are all homeschooled, but I'd say, well, I'm a big uh, fan of, of, of uh, uniforms, school uniforms. You say, well, why? Because it puts everybody on a level ground. It puts everybody in the same clothes. That's just one less thing kids have to worry about, about being picked on over something ridiculous. Growing up, my parents didn't buy me a lot of trendy clothing. And you can see that carried over into my adulthood. But now the thing is, I just don't care. Back then, I did. You know, because all of the cool kids were wearing, you know, I don't know, whatever was popular in the 80s, the Reeboks and the Adidas and the Nikes and, and all the, you know, uh, the cool shirts and whatever they may be. You know, I had like Sears Roebuck jeans and, 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 and shirts from uh, Hills and Kmart and Ames. Uh, so that's where I got my wardrobe. And, uh, you know, I know you're going to find this hard to believe. I wasn't exactly the most popular kid in the school. But see, that was something that I had no control over. My parents had enough sense. Look, I'm not going to break the bank so I can spend $1,000 on your clothes that you're going to wear up and tear up just as quick as all their designer clothes. Because I'll tell you, they may have a fancy label on them, but they don't last any longer. Okay? So popularity is another thing. People that will cause you to do things that you would otherwise normally wouldn't do, but you want to stay cool. You want to run with the cool kids. You want to you be popular. That, that, now, that it probably is, does pertain a little more to the younger people, although I know my fair share of adults that are older than me that are awful worried about being popular. And I think it's, I, I think it's, uh, I think you've got to have a good testimony. You should be worried about, concerned about having a good witness. But if you're worried about being popular in a worldly sense, and if you, 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 you uh, profess to be a saved person, then I think your priorities are a little bit out of whack. Um, now, what does pertain to older people is, is their reputation. A lot of older people are more worried about their reputation. Again, what kind of car do I drive? What kind of car did I show up at church today? What's my suit? You know, is this a $1,000 Gucci or whatever? You know, how many levels, how many stories does my house have? How many rooms? How many cubic feet? You know, a lot of people are worried about their reputation. How, how big is my title on my business card? Do I have to have another card to put up to it so you can get the whole thing on there? Um, see, folks, what I'm trying to say is there's, there's a lot of things that can tempt us and draw us away. And we're going to talk a little bit about distractions, not much, because Pastor talked about that this morning. But there, there are things that can, can grab our attention and that we get so inundated with. And those things we just focus solely on. And they draw us away from Jesus Christ. They draw us away from this book. They draw us away from church. They draw us away from fellowship with each other. And see, they, they, they pull us out there, and then they leave us hanging. As I've said, the enemy is surrounding us. It's, it's physical, spiritual realms. The enemy is all around. Uh, I read it in verses 9 and, and verses 12. It says, uh, real quick in verse 12, uh, And there were liars in wait abiding in the chamber. Uh, verses 9, now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. They were right there. I mean, they were, they were right there with them. Samson didn't know about them. They were, they were in the chamber. He was unaware. He had his eyes on one thing. He had his eyes on, on a woman. 
Nothing else mattered. And we can do the same thing. You can have your eyes so focused, so fixated on one thing that everything around you is setting you up for a colossal fall and you'll never even see it. Um, have you ever really stopped to think about why you're in the situation that you might find yourself in? Um, you know, we'll ask the guys at the jail, you know, do you ever stop and think about how you got to this point, why you are where you are? Um, you got to realize the choices you make, they're your own. Your hand is not forced. Okay. The devil, and it used to be a, a, a thing, it used to be popular to say, oh, the devil made me do it. Oh, ha, ha, ha. You know, the devil doesn't make you do anything. Now, he'll make it look appealing, and he'll make it easy, and he'll do everything in his power to get you to go that way. But he never makes you do anything. You do it of your own accord. See, and you got to learn, you got to realize that. And when you do it, own it, accept it, realize what you did, acknowledge it, and then get it taken care of. We've got too many people who don't want to take care of it anymore. They, they just want to blame something or somebody else. They want to blame their situation. They want to blame the current status of the world. There's no shortage of, of, of things to place blame on, yet they just won't be held accountable. Um, you know, Andrew, uh, uh, and even my daughters, you know, I told them, be accountable. When you do something, you know, when you, when you screw up, and come tell me or mom. I'm not saying you're going to get out of punishment. You're not saying we won't be a little bit upset, but it'll be a whole lot better if you went up to it. You know, the thing is, over the years, we've proven that to be true. And when they come to us and they admit what they've done or, or before we find out about it through some other means, it's like, well, I'm still not happy with you, and you're still a knucklehead. But I really am glad you came and, and you owned up to it. And you, 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 uh, and, as, and I'm not trying to downplay with my daughters because it's just as important that they do it. But when I see my son do it, it shows me that he's got some strong character and that he just may be able to handle himself when mom and dad aren't around anymore. And, and he's going the right path. And I, I, you know, I say may. I'm, I, I believe he's got some good character about him, and I think he's, he's seeing some things. And I think the same thing of my daughter. I'm not trying, like I said, I'm not trying to downplay or, or favor one over the other. I guess in my mind, I think of the, the character of a man because he's supposed to be the spiritual leader of the household, and he's supposed to be the one that, that, that comforts his wife. He's supposed to be the one that, you know, if, if the finances are in the tank, he's supposed to be the one that, that, that takes that, that burden upon him and takes care of it. Uh, uh, the woman is the weaker vessel. She needs somebody that she can lean on. And so I think the character of a man is very important. And I think in today's age, the character of a man is, is very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, non-existent. There's not a lot of men out there with character anymore, young or old. Uh, and it's a shame. It's a reflection of their parents uh, that... that in a lot of cases, not all, but a lot of cases, the way they were brought up, the way the things that they were taught. Um, I think a lot of times the parents put emphasis on things that really just aren't all that important. And uh, uh, it, it affects the way their, their children turn out. Um, I ordered a pack of sayings, signs from, uh, uh, boy, I'm just forgetting everything. Um, Bob Jones Sr. From, from Bible Baptist. And... Um, trying to think of the saying, it, it talks about the character of a man. And we all know, uh, we've heard it say, uh, uh, your character is determined by what you do when no one is looking. Um, the character of a man is proven by what it will take to get you to stop. That's, that's close to what Bob Jones Sr. said. Um, you know, if you just quit the first sign of trouble, you don't have a lot of character. You know, sometimes you just got to press forward and press on and get through it. Um, but the first thing you got to do is when you screw up, you got to recognize that thing. Acknowledge it and then press forward. Um, let's go back to uh, Judges 14, chapter 14. I'm just going to read a few verses there, and then we'll be right back in 16. Uh, again, I said, Pastor, he talked about distractions this morning. Uh, I'm not certainly not trying to you know, do anything with what he said. I'm just going to try, and, and uh, I already have this thing kind of laid out, so I'm just going to add a little bit 
uh, and everything he said, you know, I, I couldn't say it any better, but I'm just going to try and, and, and add a little bit to that, that topic. Uh, chapter 14, verses 5 through 8, Then went uh, Samson down, his father and his mother, to Timnath, and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. He went down, talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After a time, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. You know, Samson, as a Nazarite, he had no business being near a vineyard. Okay, he was supposed to abstain from, from alcohol and that sort of thing, uh, wine. He had no business being near a vineyard. He had no business touching the carcass of any sort. And yet we see he found himself in a situation where he went someplace where he shouldn't have been, the lion pounced and he had to defend himself. God allowed him, gave him the strength to, to defeat that lion barehanded. But see, that caused a distraction for him later in life. Because he, when he went back down that way, the Bible says he turned aside. So that's what distractions will do. Temptresses will, will get you and they'll hold you in. And, and they'll, they'll, they'll keep you there. A distraction, while it's not much different... It'll take you off the path that you're on. It'll, 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 it'll uh, uh, take your attention away. You know, you, uh, like Pastor said this morning, you know, if you, have, if you have too many points of focus, then nothing's going to come in uh, clear. Nothing's going to be clear. You know, you gotta, you got you to gotta pinpoint that focus. you got to zero focus down and get on one thing. And that one thing for us needs to be Jesus Christ. Okay, that one thing for us needs to be his book, serving him. Pleasing him, doing what he would want us to do. Um, we got to stop and, and, and think about what carcasses exist in our lives that have distracted us. And I know that sounds kind of gross, but you get my point. What, what, what's caused us to be distracted? What has caused us to get off the path we were on? What has caused us to go aside? You know, in 2020, COVID. They were and still are, for many people, very big distractions. And I know that I'm about to say something that is going to just probably, you, some of you are just going to tune me out, possibly. Uh, out there in never, never internet land, you'll probably turn me off or, or skip forward or whatever. Um, but one thing I, I just thought, when, I, when we got to the end of 2020, I looked at that thing, I said, my goodness, you know, this whole thing, all it was was a, a, a ploy of the devil now, I'm not saying that there weren't some inherent dangers, and I'm not saying people didn't get sick and die. For, I know that that did happen. I'm not trying to downplay that. What I'm saying, though, I don't know that the reaction actually matched the danger that was yeah. truly present. Um, but what I did see, a lot of churches were closed down. A lot of pulpits were empty. Some may not have reopened. And what I did see from the ones that, that, that eventually did reopen, Jesus was no longer present in their services. Now, I thank God that we had got through that thing. We, we went through that year. He got us through it. Uh, we never shut down. And, and uh, pastor never got off Jesus. He, you know, if you've known him for any length of time, he talked. His thing is having fellowship, having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That didn't change. Even though pulpits across America and churches across America were empty and Jesus was not present in any of those places, he was still present here throughout that entire period. And I was thankful for that. But one thing that happened throughout the year, and it really, I just thought it was really silly, was that people put up such a big stink about the masks. Now, again, I said, I know. I know some, some people out there in Never Never Land are just turned me off. They don't want to hear it no more. But here's the thing. You thought we, it's, we're far enough away from it now. We can, we can stop and look at this, talk about this for a minute. At the end of the day, really, was it such a big deal? Um, are you all that worried about your rights? I mean, where was Jesus Christ ever worried about rights? He said, pay your taxes. Okay, so we're, we're hung up on the wrong things. We're distracted by the wrong things. Okay? I know an individual, and he was proud of this. He, he was awful proud of this. I thought he was an idiot. Uh, he went to, I don't remember the store, we'll just say Walmart because there's a Walmart pretty much on every corner. He went to Walmart and he was fully aware of the, the, the 
requirements, not only passed down by the store, but by the government, the city, uh, state, federal government, the masking requirement. He was fully aware of this, okay? Intentionally, willfully, he went up there and he tried to enter the store and the, the clerk, if I, remember this, if I remember the account correctly, uh, he said it was um, you know, a younger lady and she advised him, said, well, sir, sir, you can't enter, you need to have a mask. And then he just proceeded to aggravate this girl and, and harass her, not, not sexually, just, just, just go back and forth with her. I'm thinking, what was the purpose of that? that that's like a bodybuilder slapping around a two-year-old. I mean, what was gained from that? Now, think about it. So, well, you know, he stood up for his, his God-given rights. I don't know. I've read my Bible at least once, and I don't remember anywhere saying you got a right to not wear a mask. I, I don't know. Maybe I missed that verse. But here's the thing. Wouldn't it have been well, better served if he had just grabbed the mask out of his car? Because I know he had one. Wouldn't it have just been better served if he had grabbed a mask and instead of maybe giving her a hard time, giving her a track? Amen. Or if, if, even if he didn't want to do that. Maybe she was afraid of taking something. If he just say, hey, look, appreciate you. I know you're, you're getting a bunch of grief from a bunch of people. I know this can't be fun to stand up here and take all this all day long, but appreciate you. Or maybe he could have just put on the mask and shut his mouth all together and just walked in and bought his whatever he was going there for. What, what, what did it prove? Really, at the end of the day, what did that prove, putting up such a big fight about that? It proved nothing. Okay? But it did provide a really big distraction. And this is where it's going to hurt. I heard a lot more fussing around about people with their masks, and I've heard about the situation going on over in the Ukraine. There's people dying over there, people going straight to hell. And again, I'm not talking about lost people. I don't hang around lost people much. I work with them, but that's about the extent of it. So you got to realize what I'm talking about is I'm talking about saved people. I'm talking about Christians. And if you got so bent out of shape over a mask, you can't even shed a stinking tear over the Ukraine or any other situation. Forget the Ukraine. How about all the other places in the world we know people are dying and going to hell? You don't care about them, but you're worried about your rights. That's a distraction. That's a problem. Okay, you got to get that thing straightened out. Um, get over it. It's really, you know, you just got to get beyond that. And, and you got to say, you know what, that distracted me. That took me away from why we're truly here. We're here to spread the gospel. We're here to, tell, we're here to, be, to reflect the light of Jesus Christ. There was not a, a lot of non-reflection going on that year over a whole lot of silliness. All right, I'll come down off that. Um, but we, we need to be aware of these things, folks. You, you say, well, why are you being so mean? Why are you singling out? Because we need to be aware. And sometimes we don't understand the effect we're having. Sometimes we don't understand how we're hurting people until somebody shows us. You know, I've been a jerk many times to my wife over the years. And, I, and, and once or twice, I didn't even realize it. Probably most of the time I knew I was doing it, and I was just being a jerk to be a jerk. But there's a couple times she said, you know, you did this, and it really bothered me, and I didn't know it. I said, man, yeah, okay. I didn't realize it bothered you that much. Or I didn't realize the way I said that or what I did. Sometimes you don't realize what you're doing until you have until, until, until somebody presents you with it. So that's my that's my uh, plea here. I'm, I'm just saying I'm trying to bring some things to surface. So when the next whatever it is is going to be, okay, presents itself to us, and the next time we, we feel our rights are, are are being infringed upon, just think about wait a minute, what am I really here for? Am I here to defend? this certain right, or am I here to tell people about Jesus Christ? Am I here to reflect him? Am I, am I here to be a light in a really dark world? Okay, we, we talked about it a little bit in Sunday school. If, you, if this room was, if the, if the blinds were shut and the lights were turned off, it'd be pretty dark in here. But I'll tell you what, one little candle would do a lot in a real dark room. And, and folks, if you just go out there and just try to shine just a little bit for Jesus, it's a pretty dark world. And you'd be surprised how far that light will go. The reason the light's not getting out is because the light isn't on. Okay. So we got to, you know, sometimes you just need to put this other stuff aside. I understand. Go punch your pillow, get mad, whatever it takes, but then move beyond it. Um, then here, let's look, verses, let's look at verse 20 of chapter 16. 
And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out there as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. When we go down to Jacksonville, you know, we always go to the beach. And uh, or we go up to Michigan, we go to the beach. Anytime we go somewhere that has a beach, we go to the beach. Okay, and, and you get out there, and, and, and it's funny. It always surprises me. You know, I always think it's kind of neat. You go in the water, and, and typically, you know, you got your chair and your cooler and whatever set up, and you go out into the water, and, and you're splashing around. You're on, maybe on one of them little cheap boogie boards that, you know, snaps in half the first time you crest a wave because you just bought a little cheap one at the $5 store and, and you know, put 200 pounds of ugliness on it, and that thing just folds like a cheap suit. Okay, so, and then the kids are crying because, you know, you just broke their toy. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you're out there, you're floating around, and you're, you're splashing around, you're having a good time, you're letting the waves carry you. And then you say, all right, you know, hold on, let me, and you look up, and you're like, hey, where's my chairs? Where's my, somebody ran off, and then you look, like, oh, it's down there. It's way down there. And you realize the water, unbeknownst to you, because you really weren't paying attention, the tide is kind of, the current has kind of carried you down the shoreline a little ways. You know, the funny thing about that is, unless you, you know, walk out and get up on the beach, if you try to stay in the water and go back, you know, the funny thing about that is you're now going against the current. It's not as easy to get back where you got in, okay? It's not as easy to get back to where you started from. When we as Christians got in, when we got saved, we got in the body of Christ. You know, we were excited, we were on fire, lots of zeal. You know, we, we wanted to serve the Lord. Then time passes and, and life wears on us. Things come up. Things happen, you know, whatever. And, and, and we realize all of a sudden we look up and we're a whole lot further away from God, from Jesus Christ, than we were when we first got in. And now we got to start that, that path, that trek to get back to him. And sometimes you're going to have to go against the current. Because what you've done is you've gotten far enough away, and, and in getting so far away, you've become more enveloped and more uh, inundated with the world. And now you've got more of the world on you. And it's harder to shake some of those things now. So you've got you to start dropping some of that dead weight. You've got to start pushing it off. And the funny thing, you know, I've noticed when the current is carrying you, you know, your feet may not touch bottom very much, maybe a little bit. But when you're actively going against it to try and get back, it can hurt because you're walking on broken shells, rocks. You get that seaweed stuff that gets up in between your toes and gives you that weird icky feeling. So you're going against all that, right? Now all of a sudden, you're trying to get back to where you, you were, but it's now it's painful and your feet are hurting and you're wearing out because you're going against the current. That's the same thing in our Christian walk. So we get too far away from Jesus Christ. And we realize it. And it's like, okay, now i gotta, I got to go back the way I came. we got to go back. And, and, and sometimes it's going to be difficult. And sometimes it might hurt a little bit. But it's important you get back to where you got in. It's important you, you stay close to him. And we see with Samson here, he didn't realize how far he had gone until he really needed God. And that's the same thing with us. Sometimes we don't realize exactly how far we've gone until we all of a sudden have a need for God in our lives. We get so wrapped up, we get so busy in living life the way we want to. You know, I mean, Samson, he had it good. He had physical strength. He had power. He had women. He had any, anything he wanted, he just took. Who was going to oppose him? There wasn't a man that could oppose him. He just took it. He touched the carcass. There was no immediate consequence. He, he was in the vineyards. Again, no immediate consequence. Places he shouldn't have been, things he shouldn't have done. But then he finally, he had his head shaved. And that other, that other shoe fell. Okay? He had taken for granted God's long-suffering. He had taken for granted God's patience. Samson said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And God says, well, the Bible says in 2 Peter, uh, 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But see, what we've got to realize about that verse is someday you're going to have to 
reap the, the, the uh, you're going to have to pay the wages of the things that you've done. You're going to have to, maybe not, not, I'm not talking about losing salvation. I'm not talking about going to hell. I'm just saying there's going to be consequences for your actions. God is patient and he's long suffering, but there will be a payday someday. There will be someday where he's going to say, okay, enough. I've given you chance after chance after chance, just like he did with the ark. Noah finished the ark, he gave him another seven days, and then he shut the door. Okay. He, he gives us an opportunity. And then beyond that, he gives us just a little bit more of an opportunity. And then our hearts get hardened, and our hearts get hardened, and our hearts get hardened. And then God, just like he did with Pharaoh, will harden our hearts. And he'll, he'll turn us away, and he'll say, all right, you know, what you, that's what you want? If that's really what you want in life, then have at it. But you've got to be careful what you ask for and what you really, really want. So my question is, do you only pray when your ox is in a ditch? you only pray when you've you got problems? Um, Proverbs 18.24, I believe uh, Brother Joe said this the other day, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Let me ask you something. Do you, do you do anything to maintain or cultivate that friendship with God? Okay, if you, if you, this is the time of year everybody's planting gardens, flower beds, and all that. You know, and and uh, the funny thing about that is you plant the tomatoes, you plant the potatoes, and you, you plant all that stuff, right? And you plant your, your, your flowers. The one thing you don't plant are the weeds, but yet they always seem to come up. And they come up faster, and they come up more abundantly. And if you don't get out there and do something with them continuously, repetitively, if you don't address them, then they're going to choke out the good plants. They're going to choke out your flowers. They're going to choke out your tomatoes. Okay, they're going to choke out the things that you really want to grow. You've got to go out there and you've got to maintain that garden. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is no different. We've got to maintain that thing. We've got to cultivate. That, doesn't, that means you pray to him when, when, at times other than when you need something. I listened to a message from Dr. Peacock a few weeks ago, and he said something. He said, look, I challenge you to do this. Next time you go to God in prayer, before you ask him one thing, list off ten thank yous. And I did that. And the funny thing was, after you get up to about seven or eight, it's kind of hard to stop. Because then you're like, oh, and there's this, and thank you for this, and thank you for that. You know, you think, okay, thank you for my house, and thank you for my clothes. And, but then you really start getting into the meat of it. You get below the surface. Well, thank you for my health. Thank you for my wife, my kids. Thank you for the situations you've gotten them out of that none of us even knew about. And you really start digging deep. And then all of a sudden, you get to the point where, well, thank you for all that, God. And if you get an opportunity, can you deal with this situation? But all of a sudden, that just doesn't seem quite as important as it did before you started thanking him for what he's done for you. You know, a lot of times I think, God, maybe he'll let us go through some things just because he wants to hear from us. You know, I appreciate um, after Ben and Faith got married, um, you know, I'll hear from her occasionally. Um, but it's not always, you know, I need an oil change or this is broke or that. More often than not, I hear from her and say, hey, uh, you know, guess what? You know, something good happened or, or you know, I, I got this or whatever. The case. I don't just hear from her when she needs something. Okay, and I appreciate that. Now, anytime she needs something, we told her, you know, this is always home. Okay, you can always come back. Don't ever be afraid. You, know, you can come back if you need something temporarily. I'm not talking about moving back in. I told you, brother, she's yours. There's no, no takesy-backsies here. Man. You got her. But what I'm saying is she can come if she needs some help. And she can come if, if, if uh, they need some guidance on something. But I also appreciate the fact that they'll stay in contact just to say hi. So, I mean, and that's what God wants us uh, to do. He doesn't, want us to, he doesn't want to just hear from us only when we need something. Um, as I read through this passage, I see that the, uh, the Philistines, they had taken everything away from Samson. They took, his, his, took him away from his family and his friends. They took away his women. They took away uh, his, his strength. They took away his hair. They took away his sight. They took away everything that was uh, valuable and precious to him. And the funny thing is, or the ironic thing is, it wasn't until he lost his sight that he finally was actually able to see clearly. He finally was able to look up and acknowledge God. Not through physical eyes, because those were gone. But spiritually, he was able to recognize 
the source of his strength. And he finally, he cried out one last time, said, God, just give me the strength, this one last time, to avenge my eyes. He finally, after all those years, saw clearly who was the source of everything that had been given to him. It was at the end of his life. Folks, there's no reason to get to the end of your life to recognize who God is in that relationship. And if you've gotten away from him, go back to him. It's going to be painful. You're going to go up against the current. You're going to lose some things along the way, perhaps. But it'll be worth it. Okay? Don't be like the watchman that was afraid to blow the trumpet, as the Bible says. Okay? You see somebody in danger, you realize you're in danger, blow the trumpet. Ask for some help. Cry out to God. Be vigilant. The Bible says walk circumspectly. Don't get too comfortable in this world. Don't get too comfortable with the things of this world. They're temporary. They really are. You've got a lot more that's waiting for you in eternity. It's a whole lot more important. You say, what are they? I don't know, but they're from God. It's got to be better, right? The worst he has to offer has to be a, better, a lot better than the best anything in this world can offer us. Stay focused. Don't get, so, don't get distracted. Don't get sidetracked. Don't lose sight of that goal. You say, what's the goal? Get closer to Jesus Christ. Pastor says, you know, you own up. Every Christian, think of as our walks. We're all on a ladder, different rungs of the ladder. So what, do you, what should I do? Focus on getting up the next rung. Don't worry about getting to the top rung because you got about 1,000 between there and the top. So just worry about the next rung. And then worry about the one after that. Okay, focus on that. You want to draw closer to him? Get one more rung up that ladder. Back in the uh, early days of aviation, the mail flight, the mail planes would cross in the Atlantic. Um, you don't just fly a straight line. Okay, you got you to fly like a, a curved pattern. It, it'll save on fuel. Uh, it's more efficient. And believe it or not, because of the curvature of the earth, it's actually quicker. So what they had to do is, and this was way before, I mean, you had just a handful of gauges in that thing. You know, maybe a, you had a speed gauge, you had an altimeter, uh, you had a fuel gauge, uh, you might have had an oil gauge for the engine. There really wasn't much of it, and they had a compass. Okay? So what they would do is they would take off and they would achieve a heading. And every hour, they would have to adjust one degree. Now, could you imagine that? I mean, that was a long flight. There was no autopilot. There was no... Uh, in-cabin service, there was no meals, there was no bathroom breaks. You sat in that cockpit, and every hour, you went one degree. You know what they had to do every hour? They had to look at their course. They had to check their course. They had to see where they were at. And not only every hour, but the 59 minutes in between. They had to be constantly aware of where they were heading. Christian, tonight, what I'm telling you is be aware of where you're heading. Don't wait till it's too late and you've run out of gas to check your compass. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. I just pray something I said here tonight would be useful. I know there was a lot of illustrations, a lot of stuff that may have seemed a little bit uh, offhanded, but, Lord, I just pray that it made sense and it was relevant, Lord, and I just pray you'd use it. Uh, and, and I love you, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.